When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So a lot of people don't don't believe that. Um, some say there's like an absolute genetic component, which is probably, I, I would probably stick with that. Some people can have entire litters of water puppies and other people's have maybe one. Um, but why it happens, we don't know. Definitely something that's probably in the breed and in that regard would probably be a genetic component regardless of how it comes about um but yeah so most people do c-section out of concern for the possibility of that um so yeah definitely very different than our natural than our dogs that can just go right ahead and produce naturally like you know huskies dobermans rottweilers you know whatever other breed you can think of Mm -hmm. um these guys definitely need assistance I've had, um, again, I would say that that, that again, could be the criticisms that I would have of of bulldog moms, I could honestly almost have of any breed, but um, they are a a stout dog, a heavy dog, and they're not like a German German hair, you know, German short-haired pincher going into their whelping box. They're definitely heavier, so if they jump in, you definitely have a greater fear of them you know, squashing a pup. They're very heavy, compact animal. Um, but as far as being good moms, I have that's all that I've ever had. I I will separate the pups from the moms um, in between feedings initially, um, just to ensure that everybody's safe. Mom is coming out of C-section and anesthesia, sometimes not even aware that she's had puppies. Um, so initially, the first couple days, I definitely have them separated. I will have them separated pretty much throughout until the puppies are very, you know, mobile and, uh, you know, probably around three to four weeks. I will, as long as I am present, I'll allow the, the mom to go in and out as she pleases with them. Um, I've had some that were like incredibly great mothers where I had no fear of I've even gone to bed and allowed one to like go in and out as she pleased because she was so gentle and so careful with her puppies. Um, I know they have like this, they say like, oh, they're so clumsy or they're this or they're that. And I I don't entirely believe that. Um, So far in my experience, I haven't had that issue, you know, but I've also, I have a relative that bred and showed Irish wolfhounds and those are massive dogs too and they've had puppies get squashed and stepped on and stuff in the same regard so uh, really I think it's relative um I think I know that some dogs can be left alone and and whelp litter and care for the litter but I think really it's it's important that any breed that you're breeding you know you just got to be a responsible dog owner and constantly check on pups make sure everybody's okay make sure mom's doing her job I mean they need to be cleaned. First-time moms are always a little nervous and unsure what to do, so sometimes they need a little help. Um, I'm always very hands-on with the puppies. I'll, I'll clean them. I'll give them to mom to clean, too. You know, I'll allow her to nurse with them for hours, but if I'm not going to be in the room with her, that's when I 
take those puppies. I'll take them away just so just so they don't get hurt. You know, it's just that's just basically. But I don't I don't believe that they're any more clumsy than any other breed or anything like that. I just think there's other precautions we need to take just because they are a heavy dog. I mean, you think like there are some dogs that are much more agile walking into a whelping box than a bulldog jumping into one, of -hmm. course. But like I said, with even like Irish wolfhounds, dogs that are heavy, big, puppies get squashed, you know, that way too. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that some of the criticisms that are out there about them being poor moms or anything are, are actually accurate. What was, uh, in your experiences, what's the average litter size? Um, you know, the, sometimes we've had litters up to eight puppies, mm-hmm. um, but we've also just had a litter this last time. There were only two. Mm-hmm. Um, the stud that I used, though, was 10, and we shipped semen over, like, COVID, which was not very fun. Um, so... You know, I know they say they have smaller litter size, which is probable. I'd probably say, like, on average, it's usually five to six. But, like I said, we've had litters of eight. And just this past was our smallest litter. We hadn't had a litter smaller than five or six until this this past one. But this was a stud that was a little bit older for us. Mm -hmm. Um, And, again, we shipped. And that was also, I think, the first time we'd ever shipped semen. We typically would drive and and do the insemination. Um, But that was the first time we shipped so I think um, your your means of, of how you're breeding and, and that can really impact it too, you know, your timing dates as far as doing the progesterones, you know, and, and how often you're going to get to breed. Lots of times people that breed bulldogs, if they're going by numbers, they'll only breed once. Um, I like to breed at least two times um, during, get at least two breedings out of it, a pairing. Um, so it just depends, but like I said, in my own experience, I've had, like, just this past litter, I've had two, I've had two litters of eight, you know, I've had somewhere, I've had five to six, so, but I think as far as how most people talk about it, it's typically probably an average of six. I've seen some people have ten puppies, you know, so, again... I can only tell you what my experience is of it. How often do you breed your females, and do you skip a cycle or wait a year? I do. I skip. Um, I, I the, the most I've bred one female was three. And my thing is two, two is good, unless... You have a female that you feel can just so outproduce herself or that you feel can, you know, when she she gets bred to the right male, can produce just stellar specimens. Or, But other than that, I feel like it's a lot to take out of them. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to put them through, mm-hmm. um, especially those first couple of days. Um, and so for me... I would say like two is good and, and, and I allow them to, to heal and become healthy. Um, some people believe that back to back is healthier for them. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about that. You know, I have my own decisions as far as what I feel is healthy for an animal. Um, I like their body to, uh, they call it suck up where, you know, the animal may have just whelped. And so their, their nipples, everything is like kind of saggy. I, 
want them to get back in good shape again. I want all that sucked back up. Like I, I get them back out running, getting normal things, healthy, happy dog stuff. Um, and once I feel like they're healthy and, and ready to go and kind of recovered from all of that, because litters take a lot out of them. And I don't use my females to, like, we don't breed that much. I've had litters once a year. I've had litters once every two years. You know, it just depends on, on our lifestyle here, what I want to focus on in my program. If I have just one dog I really want to get out and show right now, then I'll focus on that dog. If I have a female, I want to champion her before I breed her. I might wait until the dog's three years old, you know, sometimes older until I breed it. So breeding is not my main concern with the dogs. It's the quality of the dogs. Um, mm-hmm. So for me, I, I, don't, I, I don't live off my dogs either. I spend way more money than I would ever make on them. Mm-hmm. Um, so breeding is not my priority, not right now. However... Um, I, I am now taking some time off work to focus on, on getting, you know, working on the dogs and, and getting some stuff done here. So that may change. Um, but I myself, I prefer to, to give the dog a year to, you know, get its, you know, basically get its life back, have, be a, be a dog again, mm-hmm. you know, not have to be like a producer. Um, but some people, there are some repro vets out there that do believe that's the healthiest way, the healthiest, healthiest thing for their uterus to do. Um, but I, you know, you, they say, some people say they have a less of an opportunity to get pyometria or some, some other sort of disease of their, you know, reproductive tract if you just kind of do it back to back, but mm-hmm. I don't. Mm-hmm. So there's lots of different <laughs> thoughts about this too, and, and learning from experience as well. Um, different lines will mature at different rates. So there are some puppies I've kept, like as soon as it was born, I was like, holy crap, that's the one. Look at the head on that dog. Look at the features on the dog. Looks fantastic. And then, you know, so we've got that day one breeding. Then we've got people that say, okay, well, then let's evaluate them again at eight weeks. You know, so I'll look at them again at eight weeks. That's that's typically when I, I'll have an idea, but definitely by eight weeks, I, I really know what I'm looking for. Um and then after eight weeks, it's really kind of touch and go. Uh, sometimes, you know, and, and these are some other breeders I've spoken to, especially because bulldogs, they're a medium-sized dog, but they kind of mature like a large breed where, you know, they might not be fully matured and developed until they're like three years old. Mm-hmm. So I reevaluate again at about a year. So it's like birth, eight weeks, and then one year. If it has a feature that I feel is something that won't change with time, like how I said with the ears when I first started, and I kind of, I, I kind of changed the direction I was going with the, the dogs that I had because I didn't like that production of the producing that ear. Um, if it's something like that that I know I cannot change, some people go to great lengths to correct it, even have like surgeries. They weight the ear, whatever they can do. Um, I don't go to any of that. If I don't, if I don't like what I have, you know, if it's not turning out like I want it to be, I just find that dog a good home. Um, and and there's no reason to try and force the dog to look other than it's going to look. <laughs> and it's it's like living a lie, right? 
okay, I fixed this dog's ears, let's breed it. Oh, he's going to produce all of these ears anyway. So, like, in, in my mind, it's like, just rehome the puppy. Someone will love it. Give it a great home. You know, it's a great, it's just not what I'm looking for confirmationally. So there's certain things, features like that. If it has a horrible front, you know, feet that go, like, in completely different directions, I do not like that. Um, if I feel like it's something that's not going to get better with time, then I definitely go ahead and let those, some of those animals go. Mm-hmm. Um, now, I have a puppy right now who's gone through all kinds of wild phases, um, getting tall, looking fat, getting tall again, and, and just changing so much. And that's a new, uh, that's a line I've never used before. So I'm pretty sure, like, I know what, what the dogs and the lines I've been using, how they mature and what they end up looking like. But this one was an outcross, and she has changed so much. But right now, she'll be a year in May, and she looks fantastic. There were a couple times where we were like, I don't know if this dog is shaping out. Wow. So I like to do it. I I pretty much get an idea at birth. But, again, that can completely change because the male I had right now, he was not a stunner when he was born. Mm Mm-hmm. He really started shaping out at about that eight weeks where I could see what his movement looked like. Like, he walked, like, so delicately, and it was just a beautiful gait, even as a puppy. So I looked at him structurally. He had big ears and stuff like that. You say, all right, got to give him some time. As the head grows, the ears will shrink, you know. And he ended up being fantastic. I am, like, 100% happy that I, I just... A solely beautiful puppy, but the movement at eight weeks was just phenomenal. I mean, he stood apart from the other puppies in that litter. Um, but again, like I said, like typically like eight weeks for real to start looking at their movement, you can begin to see certain features where you can imagine down the road, like, wow, this is going to turn into this. Um, and it can turn into this in good and bad ways. Um, or, and, and definitely at a year, just because I feel like they take some time to mature. But again, that's me. Some people don't have time to do that. They pick, you know, make their picks really soon. Some people hold on to puppies for a very long time, like an entire litter, and watch it. I don't do that. I, I pick a couple, mm-hmm. typically two, two to three, if I feel they're really promising, and then I go from there. Mm-hmm. What kind of temperament are you looking for in a puppy? Oh, geez. I want a, a puppy that has confidence. Um, so some things that we start doing as soon as they're little is getting them on all different surfaces. So we've got wood floors, we've got carpeting, we've got ceramic tile, we've got everything. Um, I like them to be social with other dogs, you know, not intimidated. So they get taken out there with the big dogs too. I do not like an overly shy puppy and I do not like an overly dominant or aggressive puppy. I want a puppy that's dominant, it's happy, it's carefree, it's cautious. Um, but it's also confident at the same time. Um, I don't like either extreme. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm, I always do like a high quality food that has, you know, a major protein as the first ingredient. So, um, I don't feed a grain free diet. Some people do. I don't, I've never found that I've needed to. Um, but right now I'm feeding them a cana. Um, so it has, uh, I think I got them on the chicken one, but every couple of months I'll switch it. So if I have them on the major protein chicken in a couple of months, I'll change it to, uh, beef, you know, or I'll change it to, then I'll change it to fish 
or then I'll, you know, put them on like a maltine protein diet. But we do a little bit of raw. Um, every other day, I will give them a raw egg. Um, I also will make um, some some raw ground beef. We'll mix that up with uh, some tuna. I'll put eggs in there too. Um, and those are more like treats or sides to kind of like, I'll give them that like every other day by itself in the morning. Um, and that's kind of the stuff I feel like it has some um, coconut oil in it and stuff too that I feel like makes their coats really nice. Um, I like to give them cranberry. So I actually give them like some fresh cranberry or if I give them some food, I like to have food or treats that have cranberry in them because mm-hmm. I feel like cranberry actually helps with a lot of those stains. Sometimes bulldogs will get stains in their, their folds and stuff. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure what it is about the cranberry. I don't know if it helps with the pH, if it doesn't allow like certain yeast to grow in those areas or what it is, but that's kind of like my secret, my secret thing that I like to use all the time for them. Because, like, we don't have any of those stains. Um, and I attribute it to that. But I don't like to give them any foods that are, you know, like a lower quality. I, I do from, um, cana. I do, um, if I give them any canned food, that's the only thing that I make sure is grain-free. And that's solely just because it will have more protein in it. Mm-hmm. Um I was never a big fan of the grain-free, like all those peas and all that stuff, but now they're thinking, you know, might be causing heart issues and stuff with dogs. But I think if people just mix up their diets every couple of months, you know, I think it's it's actually much better for the dog because you can imagine if you yourself ate the same food every single day, you know, you could definitely be having deficits somewhere that you didn't even realize you had. Have you run into any allergy problems? With I have not. Yeah. I have not with with the dogs that we have now. And and again, like I was saying, I think sometimes we run into those issues when we're we're feeding like a low quality diet, you know. But then again, I I, I don't know. But we've been lucky enough to, you know, just be careful, trust in our breeders that we've gotten our dogs from. You know, if they've said no, we never had skin issues, we never had this, you know, then. I mean, we have to trust them, but that's one good thing that I feel is important about showing dogs, Um, because the dogs that I own in my home, all of them go out into the show world, people see them. Um, If we had skin issues, if we had allergies, it would be very obvious. So, you know, if you think you're out showing every weekend, you can't hide a dog that's losing fur or has some sort of like eye drainage or ear infections or whatever usually are the most common signs of allergies. So that's why we like to get out there and, you know, kind of find other breeders that like you, you can usually tell right away by, you know, how stained an animal's feet may be or, you know, if, if they've got some sort of issue with like paw licking and allergies and that sort of thing. Um, we have not, luckily, thank God. Um, I would definitely say that hips have improved tremendously. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that um, trachea has improved tremendously. Um, elbows. Um, again, I, I talked about stone formation before. Mm-hmm. Um, there's HUU stones and there is cystinaria type 3. Um, HUU, most breeders are testing for that. Um, and we're breeding it out of the stock, which is fantastic. Um, 
that cystinaria type three, it's still a little, the type three is, is, um, unique to bulldogs only. Now there's type one and two that other mastiff type dogs, um, are prone to. Um, and so there's still not a hundred percent correlation. So some dogs have come up with cystinaria type three and they've been affected yet never shown any sign of the disease. Um, some dogs that come up only as carriers then end up also be like producing the stone too, which they shouldn't if they're only a carrier. So there's something that we're missing with that testing, but a lot of breeders still test for it. Um, I recommend everybody do it, test for it. Um, whether or not you do or don't, I haven't yet tested my stock for it, but every time any of my animals have been bred, um, I've used a, a, an other animal that was clear for it. Um, so, but that's something I'm definitely going to be getting on the, the two dogs that I have right now anyway, but that's something we're, we're trying to breed out. Um, I also think that tight tails can be a problem. Um, you know, they, it's normal for bulldogs in the standard. It says they can have a screw tail, um, but ideally when they're too tight, they can cause issues. Mm -hmm. um, there are some people that have to get the dog's tail amputated. Mm -hmm. um, I've never had to go that route myself. I've never had a tail that was too tight that I couldn't clean it out. Um, sometimes new puppy owners don't realize that the tail is tight and there's like a little bit of a pocket underneath it that you have to clean out because it'll get old, you know, skin cells, old fur, stuff stuck underneath there. you got to clean that out every so often. Um, some people don't know that, but I would say like tight tails. That's just me for myself. I would really like to produce some dogs that had, you know, several inch long tail that we can, we can see and that can like <laughs> amazingly semi wag. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, that would probably be a goal of mine, which is what I, I tried to do in this last, um, breeding that I had had. Um, and our tails were pretty good, not tight at all. Um, and definitely had some length to them, which was good. Um, you'll see a lot of the um, European dogs. They've got, like, some really, really nice tails. Um, but here, you know, you don't want to throw the baby out with the bath water and, okay, I suddenly got a nice tail, but the rest of the dog looks like crap. So, but I would say tails, we'd definitely be trying to better those. But, again, it's more specifically some of those diseases, um, you know, hip dysplasia, elbow trachea. Trachea is a, a big thing now for, for people to get tested for these dogs, especially when they can have... Um, you know, airway, like a syndrome where they can't breathe well or hyperplastic trachea, you don't want to breed a dog that is affected by something like that, you know. Again, showing is a great a great thing because it's a tool for us. If a dog can't make it around the ring without huffing and puffing and, you know, looking like it's been running, I mean, that's a sign that there's probably a little bit of distress going on, you know. Mm -hmm. But... uh yeah, I think we'd like to have better tails. At least I would. Um, I think we've done a good job with with uh, eyes eye testing and stuff, and getting rid of some of the the issues that can affect their eyes. Um, the stones, yep, and probably trach and some of those tests. I mean, I think I think that everything as a whole. I think the Bulldog Club of America has done a great job with their um, ambassador for health program and really trying to reward people for healthy breathing and breeding and um, just really trying to change the reputation that the breed has had. Mm -hmm. 
what part of the world is actually producing some of the best bulldogs? Do you think today? I'm a big fan of some of the lines over in Great Britain, but we've got some really good dogs here. I don't know. It's a tough call. It's mm-hmm. tough. They're different. They look. They, there's a little bit of difference in, in some of the appearance of the dogs. So I, I think it really depends on what you're you're looking at as far as from a personal opinion. Mm-hmm. What you like. I like the British style look, um, but some of the dogs I've seen here have been fantastic. Kelly France had. Isabel, that was a fantastic dog. We've had Eduardo and Kara with Thor. Um, there's some, uh, oh gosh, Little Ponds and Kimasabi uh, did some great winning. I mean, there's, we've got some very, very nice dogs here. And what, what, what specific do you like about the, the, great, the great Britain lines? What, what are some of those qualities that you see compared to what, some of the qualities you see in the States? Um, for me, I feel like they, they have that nice muscular look. Mm-hmm. Um, they have a little bit of leg to their dogs. Um, they're not too cobby or short. Um, it's just a, a style, I guess, that I like, a preference. They've got really nice top lines, and they have that length on the tail. Um, so I kind of like that look. That's a look I would like to recreate if I could do it and produce. Mm-hmm. Um the dogs here that I've liked so much have had that length of skull that I was talking about earlier, where they have like a nice, nice long skull. Um, there's a dog out right now who's getting campaigned, and, and his name is Winter. Um, he he's got a very nice length of head. He's got a really nice upturn and jaw. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, you know, it just it, it just really depends i do like the the british stuff the okobo and the my my style lines Mm -hmm. those are probably some of my favorites but here i mean we've got little ponds is fantastic um elizabeth hugo has some really nice dogs um there's there's a lot of good breeders here too i mean it's just yeah it, it just depends on what you like connie chambers cody sickle i mean the cherokee legend dogs are pretty phenomenal too there's mill coats. That's old school stuff. I mean, there's there's a lot of good stuff out there. <laughs> right. Well, I would say with the Netherlands and how they want to like introduce, you know, these outcrosses or crossbreeding, basically, um, for some of these dogs. I think specifically, I, I'm thinking of the French bulldog that they're bringing in, like terriers, or and it's more like a Jack Russell terrier. I mean, they. The thing about it that's funny to me is that there's absolutely no guidance. So, and they didn't, they didn't recommend a specific set of breeds that should be brought into the French Bulldog to produce the length of, of muzzle that they're saying they need, you know, and all these other attributes that they say that they need. Um, so it's almost like if anybody is a French Bulldog and wants to cross it with any other breed, then you can. And in their mind, it's like it's saying we're bettering the breed. But I would say, no, that you're really not. It's very, very simple to find some health-tested dogs that have scored, you know, the utmost, highest ratings and and breed them. I don't think that's difficult. Um, But I think with the AR groups, they don't feel that any 
honestly, bracky breed or, or short faced breed is healthy no matter what. You know, they don't they don't care. It could score, you know, the highest ratings that any animal could, but because it doesn't, you know, it doesn't look a particular way, they want the look changed. And I'm not an advocate for that at all. Like that to me is like reckless breeding. Um, you have no idea what you're going to produce by crossing all these other breeds. Like at least if you have a specific breed, like a purebred, there are specific traits and temperaments that we are pretty sure those those breeds are going to demonstrate. When we start crossing other things into that, we don't know what we're producing. We don't know the behavior we're getting. We know nothing. Like everybody in the world here has a doodle. Some of them are like totally batshit crazy, and you, and it's because. You, some people have just bred all, all different anything, and because it has oodle on it, you know, oh, it's this designer animal, and it doesn't shed, but it's absolutely crazy, and I can't control it or walk it on a leash. You know, it's, it's the same with that. I, I, I am really anti that. I am a preservation breeder. I think we can fix most of, most of the problems that have plagued breeds by, you know, health testing, proper breeding, and protocols like that. I don't think that we need to totally outcross, you know, cross breed to produce something. And there's absolutely no guidelines for it. They have no guidelines set up or breeds that they've designated as the proper breeds mm-hmm. to to breed into the French bulldog. And that to me is like it's haphazard. Like it makes no sense to me. Mm-hmm. I am really anti some of the AR stuff and, and most of the time my opinion of them is that they're a scam anyway but that's just me oh well, I, I would definitely tend to agree I, I think it's going to it, it's it's going to be in relation to what okay mm-hmm. because if you have a companion animal and that's the, the group it's classified in is a companion animal and the companion animal is bred to be with its master, to live in a home, to, you know, be healthy in relation to the function that it's supposed to be performing, then the dog is basically fine. Are you going to ask a companion animal to do a herding animal's job? Are you going to ask a companion animal to do a sporting dog's function? No. So we're bred for different functions. And if that's the case, and we can be healthy, and we can have measurements to show that we're healthy in our function, then I would say that that an animal with a flat face, with a short face, can absolutely be healthy. It's, it's form follows function. Mm-hmm. So I cannot ask an animal that was bred to basically just be in my house and be my companion, you know, go on short walks with me, sprint around occasionally through my, you know, but has to be able to walk and be healthy. Absolutely. Um, but I can't ask that animal to be a sled dog and pull me for 10 miles. It's two completely different things. Yeah, I mean, I I think, again, once we start making these crosses, they're not the breed that they were. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's completely something else. So if if you want a dog with a longer muzzle that is a bull breed, I mean, you can get a mastiff. Right. You know, there's already breeds out there. Um, 
I don't think, I don't believe we're preserving a breed by bringing in a cross. Mm-hmm. You're just creating something else. Um, and I think there's already dogs out there that can perform the function that these people would prefer. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like I, I've said about the bulldog and, and the bulldog standard, is if you read it, the length of skull should be longer. It is not a flat-faced animal. Mm-hmm. Um, of course, yes, you shorten the muzzle, there is a lot more tissue inside of, of the nasal cavity there. But again, we can do tracheal testing. We can have palates evaluated. You can do Bose testing, which tests the level to, like, the degree to which an animal has obstructive airway syndrome. We find the top of the line of these animals and that's what we should be breeding. We don't have to wipe out the entire breed or recreate something else to fix some of the issues. And, and again, like I'm saying, if we follow the animal rights activists, there really shouldn't be any purebred dogs left, honestly. Mm-hmm. Because they actually find a fault with every purebred animal. And for some reason they feel that mixed breeds with the longest amount of muzzle is the answer, but it's really not. I mean, I, there are old English bulldogs, which were proclaimed to be much healthier than the standard English bulldog. And if you look at some of them, they have entropian. They have, they, they still are a brachycephalic animal. They can still have extremely tight nostrils. Just because you made the muzzle longer and the animal a little bit bigger doesn't mean you've made it healthier. The same with breeding, like, you can have a whatever, oh, what the hell are they now? I, I got myself all confused. These poodle crosses. So you can have a, a golden doodle or whatever. You cross a poodle with a golden and they both have hip dysplasia. You just have animals with hip dysplasia. So, like, in my mind, I don't know that it solves any problem. I think that that health testing is kind of where it's at. Um, I I get if if there are some people that create some really cool hunting dogs too um, by crossing some of these breeds. But again, they they say like their dogs are specifically bred for hunting. They're not claiming it's a purebred animal. That's why I have no problem if it has a purpose and a function. Yeah. You know. Yeah. That's why some of these these people that hunt you know hogs and stuff yeah. they've got some of the coolest dogs i've ever seen some, yeah. some people have crossed greyhounds into the lines to make the dogs faster i mean there's a lot of really cool stuff out there i'm i'm totally fine with people doing something like that and it's serving a purpose for them yeah i am just not um i guess going to support something that its goal is to just destroy a breed to destroy it and do it in the name of health i agree um just a couple more questions. What do you uh, do to get your bulldogs ready for the show ring? Not much. It's really not. They've got a short coat, so it's really not, you know, anything much that you need to do. You want them to be clean. You know, of course, brush them up real well. Mm-hmm. Um, I shave the face, so we remove the whiskers so they're quite smooth. Um, you know, if there's any scraggly hairs, you'll trim them up a little. Um, I trim the belly a little bit just to accentuate the uptuck there so it's more visible. But mm-hmm. other than that, you know, it's a pretty easy breed to show. It's not like a poodle where there's, you know, a lot of maintenance and hair and, and brushing and brushing and stuff. They're, they're a fairly easy dog to prepare to show um, as far as um, 
grooming goes, then, I mean, as far as confirmation goes, I mean, that's the same as any sort of, you know, basic training course or anything that you're going to teach them that they must behave. You know, they're to follow you all the time. There's there's manners and there's behaviors that they have to perform in order to get their, tra- you know, their treat. Um, do it any sort of, I do it any sort of way I would want them to do any other sort of a trick you know it's that's basically what we're doing and we make the trick more involved and and each time it gets a little harder and they do it they get a higher reward treat you know it's the same so the dog has to perform well the dog has to listen the dog has to be able to stand for a judge to be examined um dog has to you know not be aggressive in any way it has to allow its its uh, mouth to be examined its eyes to be examined ears everything um so we just start when they're little they show on a show ramp, so we have a little ramp that we'll put in the backyard, and we allow those puppies to play on it, crawl up on it, do whatever they, you know, do whatever they want. And little by little, we teach them to stand, and then you know they get rewarded, and uh, we just kind of go from there. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I think that they're trying. Um, I'm pretty sure now when you register puppies, so. They give you, like, a free exam, but then they also give you a little info on, like, how to show. I I really honestly think, I know that that we're, you know, we're putting a little emphasis on on AKC as far as what they can do, because they do sponsor these, these, you know, shows, but I think really it's going to come down to the breed clubs. And those breed clubs, which many of which are, like, kind of like old boys clubs, right? Some, Some of them don't take many new members in. Um, I think it's really up to them to be the voice for their breed. You know, you've got to go out. AKC, it shows they have um, meet the breeds. So any sort of spectator, I mean, COVID has ruined that. But like I said, hopefully it'll get back again. But where you can walk around, you meet some people who are from the breeds that were there showing, you know. So bystanders can ask questions and and what have you. And I, I really think the breed clubs have to make more of an effort and be kind to new people. Um, they've AKC has started a mentoring program, um, which also puts new people in touch with you know people, longstanding people in the breeds, um, which is also another good thing. But I, I really think it falls back on the breed clubs to be outgoing, to to invite new people to come around, to just even have fun things in the area. You know, like hey, let's have like a bulldog get together. You know, post wherever you can you know mm-hmm. like how I said I, I join as many I, I join Facebook groups many of them blocked from that's true but <laughs> I, I try to be <laughs> I try to be out there to to educate you know we could probably do some more fun things more puppy matches you know people who maybe really don't want to be serious and, and show but let's give them a chance to come out you know, and, and just have fun and meet other people and other bulldogs and try to get people more involved. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, you know, like I said, I, I think it falls down on the breed clubs to really try to get some new people in and, and not keep it so um, so much as like a tight, tight, closed old boys club. Just just let some people in. Give them a chance, you know. Mm-hmm. I, I think like how I said in the, the beginning of our conversation, a, a lot of breeders, you know, keep their breeding stock held back from the general public, you know, and, and that's fine. I get it. You do not want your pedigree and all your hard work to fall into the wrong hands. I totally get that. But I think it's okay to just put advertisements out on social media, 
Show people what healthy bulldogs look like. Give the time to new people. Talk to them. People send you an email, respond. You know, I know sometimes people don't want to respond to emails where it's like, how much are your dogs? You know, that's usually the first question I get. Um, but take the time. Talk to these people. Make it an effort. Let's make it a social effort. Let's show them that the breed is good. It's healthy. And you know what? More people that show, give people the time of day and, and, and welcome them in, then that won't push buyers to go to puppy mills. It won't push them to go to the, towards the fad colors where a lot of those breeders are happy to talk to you right away because they're going to make a lot of money from you, you know. I, I think, like, we could, each breed could really do a, a very good thing, you know, using, utilizing social media, just being friendly, have some, some local matches, just try to be fun. And a lot of clubs do do that, but I, I think we could probably probably push it a little bit further, make it a little bit more fun. But again, like I said, COVID really has, has crushed a lot of stuff, you know, and, and, and really with COVID and, and a lot of shows getting shut down, the shows that were available, you know, it was lots of big handlers that went out, big names. So the competition is very, very um, rough. It's strict. It's a it's a hard hard bunch of people to compete against, mm -hmm. and um, that can be discouraging too. But like I said, you people just got to stick with it. Stick with it. Try not to get discouraged. You will make friends. You will have fun. You will laugh. And when your dog wins, it's the best. It's the best feeling, and I'll be the first to say I've lost way, way more than I've ever won. Yeah. No. And it is expensive. It's gotten very expensive. Yeah, and, and even now, yeah, and even now with COVID, like, the fees have gone up. So now you're looking at entries, you know, and you could be going to shows. Let's say you have a four-day show weekend, and it's, you know, 30 to $35 per entry. Got one dog, two dogs. How many dogs are you going to show? You know what I mean? And if you have to travel to stay at a hotel and stuff, it gets very expensive. Yeah. That's why yeah. sometimes I think it could be very fun for new people to, let's say we have puppy matches and you're only going to pay, you know, maybe $5 to mm -hmm. enter the puppy show, you know. But it still raises money for your club. It still gets new people involved. It still mm -hmm. gets new people to see breeders and good dogs, you mm -hmm. know, and learn what good dogs look like. and. I mean, it's it's simple. I think it really falls down on the, the, the breed clubs. And there's there's normally a club almost in every state, you know. So we really could do a lot more than we do. Probably Mastiff. No, you know what I'm going to say, a Doberman. I like the big dogs. Mm -hmm. Doberman, I've, ever, I've never owned one. I've never handled one. I actually joined a... a Doberman Club that was in Ohio, and unfortunately that club fell apart too, lack of membership, but Doberman's just beautiful. The angles and the lines on a gorgeous Doberman, and I know there are a lot of people that, you know, are anti-cropping and stuff, but when I see the head on some of those dogs, it's like beautifully cropped ears and everything, I just, I love that dog. Regal, beautiful. Mm -hmm like a timeless looking animal um what about small dog like a toy breed or something smaller i i know you mentioned shih tzu before i love them yeah i love them they have such good personalities good little dogs um and i'm not a small dog person and i'm really afraid i'd probably step on it um but shih tzus are I, they're just lovely i love them 
super cute. I like a little Boston too. Yeah, I love Boston's. I, I my my Shih Tzu's laying right next to me, <laughs> and my bulldog just came up on my lap. So. Um, yeah. Yeah. Shih Tzu's have good personality. The sweetest little things too, but they can have some sass and be tough. You know. Oh. Uh, <laughs> 